0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If if, if your blood runs orange and blue, 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 this this is the pod for you. you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by by E.J. Stewart and Tommy Beard. Let's get to it, New York. A Knicks legend calls it quits. EJ Stewart, Tommy Beard is on the Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey, WFN, original. We have a little bit of breaking news as we record this podcast on a Monday afternoon. Carmelo Anthony, prolific Knicks scorer, one of the greatest players of all time, has announced his retirement from the NBA. He announced it via social media. So we'll be talking a lot about Carmelo Anthony in this episode. We'll talk about his retirement. We'll talk about uh, describing his career as a Nick describing his career as a whole. We'll talk about some some great moments from Carmelo Anthony. And I'm curious what Tommy thinks about where Carmelo ranks when it comes to all-time Knicks and all-time small forwards. So it should be a really fun discussion talking about the great Carmelo Anthony. And then we'll wrap the show also talking about, did the Knicks potentially miss a finals opportunity here? Like, you're seeing this series with the Miami Heat. Miami mm-hmm. Heat have dominated the Boston Celtics. They are out 3-0. They had a convincing and thorough beatdown of the Celtics in game three. And when you see how much success the Heat are having against the Celtics, how much success they had against the Bucs, it makes you wonder, A, should the Knicks have actually maybe won a few more games in that series? Maybe, like, it's considering how well they played, maybe that that, that should have been even a closer series, and maybe the East was more open than we think. And also, how far are they from actually getting to the mountaintop if the team that they were eliminated by by just six games is thrashing everyone else they face, so I think that that will be a good conversation as well. So, plenty to get to on this episode again. My guy Tommy Beard with me, Tommy. How you feeling?
0: Feeling good, feeling good. Uh, nice little got some uh nice weather coming up this week and a little mellow to talk about. Um, it looks like we only have a couple more conference playoff games to discuss you know. and preview. Um, but uh, yeah, still a, still a good time of year, and uh, let's start it off by chatting a little bit about Mr. Anthony.
1: Let's do it. So again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods and New York Knicks podcast. You can catch it wherever you get your podcasts, including the Free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto download feature on your streaming service. You get these episodes every time we drop. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube as well. You can find us on the WFAN and Odyssey Sports channel. So. One of the most prolific scorers in Knicks history officially has retired. Carmelo Anthony announced Monday that he is retiring from the NBA. He last played for the Los Angeles Lakers during the 2021-2022 season. Melo started his career in Denver being drafted number three overall by the Nuggets. He would spend seven and a half years in Denver before being sent to New York in a blockbuster midseason trade with the Knicks. During his seven years with the Knicks, Anthony averaged 24 points per game. He made two NBA, all NBA, all NBA appearances. He was selected as an NBA All-Star in each of his seasons in New York. Anthony's best season definitely came in 2013 for the Knicks. When he led the league in scoring, he helped New York win 54 games and advance past the first round of the playoffs for the first time since 2000. That was a 13-year drought with the Knicks being able to, unable to advance past the first round. It was the only time that Melo's Knicks won a playoff series during his New York career. Anthony would then would be traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder in 2018, and he finished his career with stops in Portland and Los Angeles. So Tommy, I'm making it really simple here. You have one word to describe Carmelo Anthony's career. What word are you using?
0: Uh, I'll go with bucket. Um, you know, okay. like the the, 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 the phrase bucket getters probably uh, thrown around too loosely nowadays. But make no mistake, Carmelo Anthony, one of is what is and what and and has retired as one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. I mean, look no further than the fact that he's ninth all time uh, in in NBA scoring. um, Only eight players in the history of the sport um, have scored more points in an NBA game. It's LeBron, Kareem, Carmelo, Kobe. Michael Jordan, Dirk, Wilton, and Shaq, and then you have mm. Melo. So you know, anytime you're on the top ten list, um, and in one of the supreme, um, you know, one of the elite scorers, uh, you know, one of the elite players of all time in your in your respect for sport, um, you get a ton of credit, a ton of respect, um, well deserved. Listen, he wasn't a perfect player; um, his, his defensive deficiencies obviously um, complicate things a little bit um but uh when it when it came to scoring the basketball and and the team that scores the most points wins um you know Mello was was right there so uh, a ton of respect today for for uh what mellow did on the court um and uh yeah he'll he'll get his flowers a, a, as he should
1: yeah definitely going to give a, a nice round of applause for Carmelo anthony on his uh on his retirement on this episode on the blue bloods if i'm gonna use one word I'm gonna say star crossed, and I know maybe that's a hyphenated word, maybe it's two words, but I'm gonna you know break my own rules here and say star crossed because I feel like Carmelo Anthony's career. We know him as a prolific scorer. We know him as, as Tommy said, a bucket, um, a, a true number one option. It just, I, I, it's just unfortunate to me that things never are lined up for Melo to consistently make deep playoff runs to make that NBA finals appearance uh to maybe win an NBA championship. Like you said, he's not a perfect player, but there are plenty of imperfect players yep. that have led their team to NBA championships. And it's, it's to me, it's, it's a little sad that like, he never got that chance to at least even get to the mountaintop. He got close in Denver and then he ran into the Lakers. When I think about Melo's career, like he entered a Western conference in 2004, that was an absolute beast. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Dallas. You had uh, uh New Orleans coming up with Chris Paul eventually when he came into the league. You had uh San Antonio who nobody could get past. It was so many talented teams that when he was in Denver, it was just hard for the Nuggets to really crack through. And then once the Lakers, after their short rebuild that the track left, got back to being a championship contender, then that was the team you had to get by. And it was just too much talent in the Western Conference, and the Nuggets were unable to put together uh, teams around him that could compete for a championship consistently. And he gets traded to New York, and you think things are going to work out there, and the Knicks weren't able to put a team around him to compete for a championship. So, uh, and then he's playing at a conference with you know Lamar James and and, and the Miami Heat. So it, it, that's the thing I think about with Carmelo Anthony's career is is star I almost think of him almost like Trace McGrady, though McGrady had even less uh playoff success. Like guys who had unbelievable talent but because of their circumstances were never able to play on the ultimate stage, which I think in many ways I feel like that's what fans lost out on because um Melo in the right situation as we saw with the Olympic team, he was a special player.
0: Um yeah, t- uh, totally agree and um it's a really good point because there's like a few points of you know, pivot points in in Melo's journey. Um, yep. obviously one of the highest r- recruited players in, in the country coming out of Oak Hill, goes to Syracuse 20 and 10 as a freshman, carries the the, the orange to a national championship, somehow slips to third in the draft. Obviously, the Broncos won. Darko Millis yep. goes two infamously. Um yeah. You know, you talk about entering the West. What if, what if Carmelo gets drafted by that Pistons team with a championship core? Exactly. Um, you know, could they have gone on a run? Could they have won a couple championships? You know, you replaced Carmelo with Darko Milicic and and kind of re, refix that that roster uh, with a young <laughs> yeah. Mellow. And and Mellow was averaging twenty eight points by the time he was 22, 23 years old. Yeah was ready to contribute right away um so instead he goes to denver a team which hadn't been successful won 17 games the year before wins 43 um in mellow's first year um uh one of the cool mellow stats that rookie season he was the first player to lead his t- the first rookie to lead his team in scoring and lead that team to the postseason uh, since david robinson uh, with the spurs uh, about yep. uh, 15 years earlier um the other kind of inflection point carmelo's career instead of signing a three year uh, off his rookie contract, instead of signing a contract with a four, with a three year and then a player option yep. prior to that fourth season, Mello wanted to lock in that fourth season for whatever reason, want to secure the bag as the, as the kids say, and because of that was not a free agent at the same time as, as D Wade and LeBron and Bosch, um, the other guys in that class that, yeah. you know, um, you know, obviously Wade, uh, Mello went three, Wade went four, Bosch went five, um, because he you know, if it's not, if it's not for that, for if he just had had that player option, still would have made the same amount of money. Um, you know, obviously, you know, barring an injury, or whatever, he would have been the third banana with that with LeBron and D. Wade. You, you have to assume they would have figured out a way. Or you know, with one of those guys or two of those guys, um, yeah. you know, that, that would have all played itself out far different. And, you know, you, you hit your star next to LeBron, um, you have a perfect compensation. Complementary piece in in mellow and then lastly they have the amnesty situation regarding chauncey billups and the knicks yep. and, and how that complicated everything and that kind of um you know messed up so to speak um the, the kind of knicks project you know building around carmelo so there's a few key things that had gone a little bit differently had, had gone a little bit this way or a little bit that way um mellow would have been in a much better position to win um as it stands. Um, you know, he doesn't have those, those, those accolades, you know, not only did he not win a championship, never got to play in a championship. And as you mentioned, um, we saw what he did uh, most outstanding player as a freshman with Syracuse. Um, 37 point game team USA with the highest score individual 10 three pointers that game against uh, Nigeria 2008. So it had another 30 point game, Uh was the USA's all time leading scorer till Kevin Durant passed them back in 2021. So um, it's a shame that Melo never really got a chance to shine in that kind of bright spotlight.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like people know how much I love Marvel superheroes. I'm actually wearing a Spider Man shirt today. People can't see. Um, So I, I know I, I love superheroes, I love stuff. And I feel like for me, Carmelo Anthony would be the perfect player to do a what if comic book or like a what if uh, cartoon on that Marvel does on, on Disney Plus because like there are so many what if moments in Carmelo Anthony's career that if they change one way or another, uh, maybe he's an NBA champion. Um, again, it yeah. starts with like you said, uh, the Detroit Pistons not picking him to go number two as opposed to him going number three to Denver, Detroit. Had a championship roster, and they maybe were would have been a dynasty. if They would have had Carmelo Anthony like like that's a, a, an inflection point. Um, you mentioned the uh, the, no, the the trade to the Knicks and the decision yeah. for Melo not to uh wait till free agency because he was a, right. a worried about the lockout and said he wanted to make the trade now and force things to give up so many assets to get him. Um, you mentioned in fact that he signed the, the full five year deal as opposed to signing the three plus one deal that mellow wade and bosch had signed how much that changes his career um how much Nick's decision to amnesty chauncey bills i mean there are like literally there may be six or seven moments in his career that one thing flips a different way and he's an entirely different career what if he enters the nba straight out of high school like he was a guy a lot of people looked at and said hey he could be a guy that could go straight from the nba uh straight from high school to the nba and he probably would have been a number two pick in the draft as opposed to being uh number three he was number you know Yao was number one year before what happens if he goes number two how does that change his career like so uh, his career i think of almost maybe any uh player in the nba history is when you look at it multiple times and say hey if one thing goes a different way like this is entirely this is entirely different Why, why do you think the knicks struggled so much to build a winner around carmelo
0: well, um, you know, we talked about the things that have gone against, you know, Carmelo, kind of the breaks that, that went his way. and it doesn't seem like any of them went his way. We also have to shoulder, Melo has to shoulder some responsibility for the way things played out in New York. Um, one, as you mentioned, um, demanding the trade prior to entering free agency when he would have had the opportunity to sign with the Knicks and they would have kept all their pieces intact. Um, that obviously is it gets factored into the decision in terms of why the Knicks were ever, never able to, uh, to complete a successful complete roster with sustained success. Um, again, not, not, uh, putting, putting this in, in context, the Knicks didn't win a single playoff game in the nine years before Carmelo arrived. They only won one playoff game in the five years after he left. Um, you know, we took the team to three straight, you know, postseasons, won 54 games, 2012, 2013. The only time this millennium, the Knicks have won 50 plus games. Uh, but again, you know, there were higher expectations and we have a player that's top 10 all time in scoring. Those expectations get ratcheted up and rightfully so. Um, that being said, the other thing that worked against Melo, it was his, uh, his rigidity. He didn't want to accept moving to that power four spot. Um, you yes. know, when he, when that would have been, that would have put him, his team in the best position to succeed, whether him, whether himself, def, you know, he didn't want to do physical pounding on guarding bigger, stronger power forwards. Um, you know, he wanted him a little more, you know, a, a little bit less of a difficult assignment on that end. Um, yes. I think that works against him. We talked about the Chauncey Billups thing. Um, so it's kind of a confluence of factors and, uh, you know, again, mellowed, not committing as much to the defensive end of the floor. Um, you know, uh, you know, just when you play a style that's kind of an ISO style. It it, it, it's, it it can be difficult to bring in, you know, surrounding players and, and complementary pieces. Um, but, uh, you know, those, but those have to be weight as factors as well.
1: Yeah. In many ways, I feel like him and Dirk almost have like very similar issues and things you complain about their careers. But like Dirk was fortunate enough that Dallas found the right team to build around him. And it was like, in many ways, like the perfect team to build around him that didn't, wasn't a super team like a team that like you had the right point guard you had the right six man you had the right center to help him on the defensive end you had the right wings who can guard multiple guys and guard the fours like it, with uh with Sean Marion like like Melo I, and I and I, as someone who loved Dirk whiskey during that time like I used to always feel like Melo needs like that team like he needs if you would have put him on that Dallas Maverick team maybe they beat the heat because that would have been a perfect fit for him as well like it, it just seemed like the Knicks were unable to kind of put the pieces together when they got Chandler, it forced them to lose their point guard in, in Billups, and Billups. And they weren't able to overcome the fact that now they were going to be capped out because they decided to amnesty him instead of letting him just uh expire. Like there were so many different issues. Uh And then Phil Jackson came in and I feel like as time goes on, it, it's really kind of wild to see just how much like the Phil Jackson thing went off the rails. Like it, it was bad at the time, but, you know, the Knicks, the year before, I know they they missed the playoffs the following year. They only won 37 games. But then Phil Jackson comes in, and it is just an absolute disaster. 17 wins, 32 wins, uh, you know, 31 wins. Like, teams at 29 wins. And then, you know, of course, he was fired at that point. Steve Mills came in. Like, like the Knicks went from being a, a semi-competitive team, maybe a team that was underachieving a little bit, but a team that was getting to the playoffs every year, to a team that just was not even competing. Essentially wasted – the last good years of, of Carmelo Anthony's career. In many ways, you know, Phil Jackson's leadership and, and how he kind of ran the Knicks into the ground really end up derailing what should have been more competent years with Carmelo Anthony playing on bigger stages in the postseason and maybe making a run. I think that Phil Jackson's uh, part in it really maybe goes kind of underrated given all the talk about, you know, how he didn't want to, you know, Melo didn't want to adjust his insanity and a lot of things about, like, and I've said all the things that Melo has done wrong, but. That Phil Jackson hiring ended up just completely tanking the rest of Melo's career.
0: Yeah, listen, Phil did a was 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 not a good hire in retrospect. Obviously, we know that now. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's probably a combination of the style of play and and the player, and, and again, it's one of those things, um, one of many things that just kind of tweaked. You know, went one bounce here, one kind of turn there, um, sliding doors moment uh, that that went the opposite way as as Melo would have hoped
1: where do you rank Mello among the greatest knicks of all time it's an interesting ranking because he's up there among the highest scorers of all time but he doesn't have some of the championships other guys have he doesn't have the finals appearance that ewing has so uh, how, how do you juxtapose where Mello ranks in terms of all-time knicks
0: yeah i have him lower than most probably lower than than far most actually i have him eighth uh, in, in terms of of, of all time Knicks wow. rankings, um, so I'll run you down my seven, just so I can give you some little explanation. At seven, okay. I got Harry Gallatin. Um You know, this goes back to fifties. Uh, made three straight finals. Um, his his first few years in the league. Um, played in six hundred ten consecutive regular season games. Fifty seven straight postseason games. Um, was an All Star seven straight seasons from fifty one through fifty uh, from nineteen fifty 1950 to nineteen fifty seven. Um, again,
1: history lesson from Mr. Tommy Beer.
0: <laughs> there you go. How many oh, you guys
1: have oh, Harry Gallatin on your on your, <laughs> her on your list come on you know dude.
0: which you know I, I understand a lot of folks today want to you know say the history you know if, if it's before magic and bird didn't exist but the reality is it does um so i tried to I, I i you know for full disclosure i did this list um last off season i ranked the top 75 wow. Knicks of all time. So i ranked each you know going down one by one i tried to look at history and individual performance and and postseason success it gets complicated um, because again, fewer teams in the 1950s and, and easier to make the all-star team easier to advance the postseason, season et cetera. Um, but you know, when you, you know, this is a guy, you know, galvin was a, was a monster, Harry, the horse average 15 rebounds per game, um, in, in 53, yeah. 54, um, number six, I got Bernard King. Um, I don't think we have to talk too much about him. Um, again, not only was he legit scorer, incredible scorer like Carmelo, um, he would be top 10 too, if he hadn't had his injuries, um. Uh, but he was also you know he he scored in, in big moments and big spots um obviously the, the the series against the pistons is legendary yeah. um and and he's had some postseason success not overwhelming postseason success similar to Carmelo but um i thought those two were close um i give a slight edge to to Bernard King um Richie Guerin, um i got it number 5 um, when you talk about all around production, um, Garen was, was a monster, um, yes. 1961, 62, he played in that same era as the, um, as the big O and Wilt and, and those guys. Um, so he's not thought of in that same class, nor should he be, um, uh, but make no mistake. Um, one of only four players in NBA history to average at least 29 points, six assists, and six rebounds um, over the course of the season. The only three other players in that club are Oscar Robinson, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Um, uh, during his prime from 50, uh, 1957 through 1962, Garen averaged 7.2 rebounds and six assists per game. Uh, played in six consecutive All-Star games. Um, again, this guy did it all. Contributed um, on the glass, distributing the basketball, scoring. Um, you know, those are really impressive numbers. Um, I, I don't need to say, um, you, I, I, that goes without saying, obviously. Um, and then my top four, um, I got the busher, who I think is probably one of the most underappreciated, underrated. disrespected yeah. Knicks of all time. Um, in terms of again, you know, we're factoring regular season production, the turn kind of, in, you know, we talk about pivot points, the the, the Knicks yeah. changing from a good team to a great team was the trade that brought Dave the busher two world championships. He was integral part of, of both of those squads. Um, so you know it's hard to to over you know to overstate his importance on the club um and again those those two titles you know tip him over the top and then obviously you have the top three of reed frazier and ewing
1: i mean i i i think that that's fair i think a lot i agree i think a lot of people have him uh, a lot higher i would have Mello over gallatin only because of how little the league was integrated when gallatin played i think that that's a a factor when when i think of ranking certain guys so like seven-time All-Star, seven straight, I believe. So uh, a great player, but the league was very different, obviously, back then. So I put him out of him. Um, the, the Butcher and King arguments, I think, are the ones that are the, the tipping point, I think, for a lot of people when it comes to, like, where you rank him from there. And I agree. I have, actually have um uh, over him as well. But the, the, the more – and maybe I'm becoming – uh, a mellow sim- sympathizer here, but like the BK mellow discussion, I think needs to be revisited when in terms of ranking all time Knicks, because as we, as you mentioned, and you make a fair point about, you know, King having, you know, the run against, uh uh you know, against the Pistons and then taking the Celtics to seven games. But like that run with the Knicks was short. I mean, it, it you know, in terms of his prime, it, you know, and obviously it was an injury that factored in, but you're talking about a, a prime that was really, Four years essentially, uh, and, and you know, one year where he was uh, a guy averaging thirty two before he got hurt. The year before that year was twenty six. I mean, Melo led the league in scoring at twenty eight. He took the Knicks to multiple postseasons. I feel like if you look at Melo's totality, I think his numbers are better than than, than Bernard King's in terms of Nick career. Uh, so I think I would have Melo over 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 Bernard King. You know, he can't help that Bernard King got hurt, but three years he gets hurt and then he comes back to the end of uh, the 87 season i, I just think mellow multiple playoff appearances leading league in scoring multiple all nbas they're very close but i think i would lean mellow slightly and then when we get to and then uh and then the busher <sighs> bush is a tough one because that really comes down to like what do you value do you value right. a guy who was an integral piece of a championship or do you value a guy who um, is like, you know, maybe individually one of the top players in the NBA. I think I could live with the Butcher over Melo because the Butcher was like a three time all-star before he got to New York. Like this guy was a, a star player in the NBA, and then he gets to New York and he takes him over the top. So I could live with the bushers. I think that gets I guess that leaves me around six for Carmelo Anthony. I think is is a is a very respectable spot, obviously. But I think that a lot of people listening to this podcast will be upset. They'll probably be like, what, what the hell? How's Melo not in the top five? But I agree, he's not touching Ewing uh clyde or um or, 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 or uh or uh, well, the captain of course willis reed yeah. um and, and then so when and then i'll be honest i, I think earl monroe also is going to be kind of kind of going to be in that conversation as well he would probably be right there around eight or seven too so it's it's tough i feel like once you get to that top three then there's like the next crop that includes like the, a lot of guys we named and mellow sits somewhere around there um as far as the busher thing goes yeah it's difficult
0: you're kind of weighing intangibles um yeah. but in, in terms of overall impact on the game this is where i gotta knock mellow down a couple notches um dave the busher um uh not only was he um uh he made eight all-star games in his career he was named to the nba's all defensive first team um the, the first six years of his existence um, so like you talk about I- impact defensively and that's obviously one of the reasons why the knicks were great and not only in the regular season but just you know continued sustained postseason success as two titles will attest um that back one of the backbones of the team obviously you know you can't you know it's all the captain and and, and fraser yeah. taking nothing away from those guys um the busher was an integral part of of of, the, of those teams and allowed those guys um you know greater flexibility to kind of focus on the offensive end um knowing that you had a lockdown uh, backline defense defender in the right. who is you know, skilled for, you know, his defensive versatility. Um, but again, you know, listen, in terms of a player, you know, like Carmelo Anthony is, is probably more talented than, than just about anybody, probably more talented right. than Will Smith. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, ability yeah. to put it together, ability to uh, put it together consistently, um, sacrifice for the team, you know, sometimes sacrifice those scoring stats. Um, and, uh, you know, the, and, and as far as the, the, the King, um, Uh, Mellow comparisons. Very, very difficult to choose between those two. Very similar. You're right. um, Limited combination. If I were to push back, I'd point out that Mellow was a um, led the league in scoring. um, uh, Bernard King did as well. Averaged 32.9 and 84, 85, um, along with 5.8 rebounds. Shot 53% from the floor um, during that season. Um, and of course, the the nineteen eighty four playoff run, um, twelve games total, averaged thirty four point eight points, um, shot fifty seven percent from the floor, which is just fifty eight percent. Yeah, floor.
1: I mean, he, I mean, you know, I've said it. I mean, his number needs to be in the Raptors. I mean, Bernard King uh, was a, a, just a, a dominant offensive player. Agreed. It's it's tough. Those two guys are the guy. I love those conversations between Mello and, and King because they're so similar. They both played on like really poorly constructed teams around them, and. You know, with Bernard King, I think sometimes he gets a benefit of the doubt when it comes to well, the injury didn't allow him to see whatever, maybe what could have become with the Knicks. And to Bernard King's credit, like, you know, Melo won one playoff series in like seven years. I mean, Bernard King won two playoff series in essentially three, you know? So, so that's <laughs> like, so you're talking about success in the postseason. Bernard King has a, a, a big advantage. I do think longevity has to mean something when it comes to. Uh, these conversations as well, but very interesting discussion. We've been talking about Carmelo Anthony, the uh, the the uh, the the dick prolific scorer retiring from the NBA on Monday. Where does Mel rank in your eyes uh, among greatest small fours of all time? Who do we got up there? I mean, obviously, LeBron, Le- LeBron, Ir- Light bird Scotty Pippen, KD, Rick barry KD, um, Julius Irving, of course. Like, does he crack that top 10 you think?
0: Mm, did we get to 10 yet havlicek is he considering him a small forward
1: elgin baylor yeah i would yeah i would say both those guys more forward and Melo's my better name than any of those guys i don't think Melo's no. better than anybody I, i've named so far uh, agreed i don't think he's in the comments. um Melo
0: dominique wilkins who do you got
1: oh that's a tough one um i think i lean neek same yeah i think i lean neek that's a, a little tough bit more one
0: though. Sustained success, a little tougher competition. Yeah, so yeah. I guess it's right outside the top ten. Um, let me look, let me look online here. Kawhi Jane, Leonard
1: James James Worthy in, in James Worthy a
0: small forward? I have more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean
1: they started like AC yeah, Green yeah. And, and uh, uh Rambis is you know, another Mellow like, legend mellow Mello <laughs> or Paul Pierce. who do you got? I mean Melo's a better was a better player than Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce had I think Paul Pierce is underrated. Like it's, it's become the the fun thing to dunk on Paul Pierce's career because he's so yeah, yeah guess, he cocky is. about what he accomplished. But right. I Paul Pierce was a, an absolute killer, and I think people kind of need to remember kind of how good he was.
0: Finals MVP. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a big. That's a big feather in his cap, man.
1: It is. It is. I I, I probably would lean Paul Pierce.
0: I think so too. I, I, think, I, would... I think.
1: I think. I think. I think Melo is a more talented player, but if I had a guy in terms of who I wanted for one game to win in a playoff game, I think I'd I'd take Paul Pierce and Paul Pierce, who was uh, not as athletic or as as Carmelo Anthony was a much better defensive player. So, I mean, I think that, you know, that, that would factor in as well. So you're probably talking about mellow in that like 10 to 15 range is also Alex English, who's underrated. One of the greatest small forwards of all time as well. Uh, Adrian Danley, was another scoring yeah. machine in the yeah. 80s. There were a lot of guys in that, that 80s era, you know, King, Dantley, uh, English, where you're like, man, if these guys played in any other era besides the yes. Magic Johnson, Light, Bird era, because these guys have made it to an NBA championship at Good, good trivia
0: question. Adrian Dantley led all players in scoring in the decade of the 1980s. Most points scored in 1980s. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah. A lot of people, again, a lot of people don't know it, that's one thing I love about the history of the game. And I wish more people like, uh, you know, really like uh, lived in it and really kind of embraced it. Like there are so many great players who have played in these leagues. And when we talk about, you know, ranking the likes of a Carmel Anthony, who's a great player in his own, right. We've talked about that a ton on this episode. Like there are so many guys though, when you say, okay, let's ration them up to the top five or the top three. It's like, we, we got to take a close look at these other guys and what they've accomplished as well.
0: A hundred percent. All that said, to be even be in the conversation with these guys is a huge credit to Carmelo Anthony and his career. Yeah. And we, we should have prefaced this at the top. And, and fact of the matter is Carmelo Anthony is a first ballot hall of famer. One hundred No, no question, no debates as easy. A first ballot. Again, it's the Naismith basketball hall of fame. It's not the NBA hall of fame. Um, and as we discussed national championship at Syracuse, um, one of the most decorated three-time Olympic gold medalists, one of the most decorated U.S. Olympian athletes of all time, um, uh, basketball players. So, and then you and then you factor in uh, the the incredible NBA career. So, um, again, there are very few first first surefire hundred percent first ballot Hall of Famers. Carmelo Anthony is one such player.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. We're talking about the great Carmelo Anthony, who announced his retirement from the NBA. Okay, I want to ask you. Of all the illustrious moments in Carmelo Anthony's careers, there's plenty of them. There's the 62-point performance against the Bobcats in 2014 that set the MSG and Knicks scoring record, breaking Bernard King's record, and then uh, breaking Kobe and James Harden scoring 61 at the Garden. Um, There's a 50-piece all-jumpers that Melo gave to the Miami Heat in 2013. I think a game that gets forgotten about. Insane. That guy could score 50 points on just only jump shots for an entire game. Uh, that, that was one of the best performances. You got uh, Melo's game winner, his first one with the Knicks against Memphis over Tony Allen. He yells at Rudy Gay, his fellow you know DMV buddy, This I do this. This is what I do as he's running back down the court. There is the Easter double bang three-pointers against the Bulls uh, in 2013. Of course, outside the Knicks, you got uh, Melo leading Syracuse to a, a national championship. You got Melo uh, hitting the game winner over LeBron in 2010 in overtime to beat the Cavs when he was on the Denver Nuggets. Carmelo Anthony battling with Kobe Bryant in uh, the 2009 NBA uh, Western Conference Finals. So of all of these moments, what is your favorite Carmelo Anthony moment?
0: Let me tell you my least favorite Carmelo Anthony great moment. It's the 62 point game. Um, I was in a, I was living <laughs> in Forest Hills at the time and I had um, season credentials for the Knicks. So I would go to 35, you know, games a year, you know, yeah. pretty much every, every Knicks home game. Um, at the time but Friday nights I had a run at what was that school over there in the corner PS 106 or something like that um but I had a Friday night run that I would play in um you know and it, it, some nights I would skip it to to go this was uh you know to, you know it was one of the last few games we we're going to close up um you know the, the public school for for the, for the runs for a little while so I decided to go to that game and I'm checking my phone at halftime I'm like dude what is this guy on? And then I get home and, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, I, and I see that he's sports too. So I was in the building for that. That annoyed me. Um, but but credit to Carmelo for that. My favorite, Um, I got to go with the double bank, three pointers against the Bulls. It just seemed kind of like, uh, first of all, great Breen call, um, great New York moment at the Garden um, in a game that meant something, a game of import. It was kind of like yeah. – there was still hope, you know, there, there was legitimate hope that the Knicks were really a franchise on the rise and Carmelo was yeah. going to take them back to the finals and back to postseason prominence, um, you know, and, and this was just the first taste of it. And, you know, you needed a guy like him to get you those big buckets and big moments, um, and he came down the court, delivered, um, you know, Luol Deng and, and just, you know, against the against the Bulls to kind of spice up that, that that rivalry a little bit. Um, so I think that's probably my favorite uh, Mellow moment.
1: He mentioned the uh, Breen call. We have the Breen call. Let's hear it. Come on Anthony double bang on Easter 2013. Smith has it. Knicks down three. Should the Bulls foul? No. Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down and the game is tied. In the hands of Anthony. Anthony for three.
0: Puts it in. Knicks by one with 8.2 remaining.
1: I mean, if that doesn't give you chills, I just don't know what kind of pulse you have. I don't know why you're listening to a Nick's podcast. I don't know if you're a Knicks fan. <laughs> but that moment still, and I, it's, I think it's Breen's maybe second best call of his career. I think the Curry 40-footer in OKC is his best call. But those ma, two, ma, ma. Mike Green's birthday today. Happy
0: sixty second birthday, Mike Green. Actually.
1: Happy sixty second birthday, Mike Green. I have a funny story. Mike Green was acting assistant coach on a Long Island Lightning team I played on when I was a uh, like, like 11, 12 years old. And I'll tell that cool. story at some point on the podcast. We have a long summer, so we'll talk about that at some point. But um, so happy birthday, Coach Mike. But yes, the um the 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 two of my favorite calls, of course, two of my favorite players of all time, Melo and Seth Curry. I think that's number two. I think the Curry call is number one. But like yeah that moment i think and i think you encapsulated it right because remember that was the same linsanity season like a lot of people yeah. kind of forgot like linsanity went crazy and then he got hurt so jeremy lynn's out and then Melo has to come in and it's kind of like, all right what's it gonna be is he really the guy like you know or is he gonna be able to coexist with lynn when he gets back like you know we just saw nicks winning without him like what is mellow and that that really felt like Melo's like welcome to new york moment and it's Crazy because like a year after he'd already been here. But like you're playing to the Chicago Bulls, you got Tom Thibodeau, who's the current Knicks coach, yeah, on the other sidelines. The Bulls were the team in the Eastern Conference that year. And it felt like a game the Knicks were not gonna win. Like it, like they like the Bulls had, had you know, had this unbelievable defense and they were locking up the Knicks for most of that game. And Melo kind of just kept them in throughout. And it's a late game, late season game. You're trying to get seeding in, into the in the playoffs. And Melo – uh uh, hits that first one where, you know, He Jeff Van Gundy says, you know, should he file? Love- he's like, no, Melo Drain's a 30-footer. You're like, oh, that's probably a bad decision. And <laughs> then to come back and hit another three. And the Knicks, the crazy thing about those threes, the Knicks were down both of those shots. Like, that's what made it insane. Because how many times you see guys, you know, game is tied, you're shooting, you know, no pressure threes, and these guys hit three. And like, you know, it's big shots, and, and you give them credit, but it, it, it's a different kind of three. When you're down three points, you're coming down the court. You don't know if they're going to file. You don't know what they're going to do. And you're making a shot to keep your season alive, to keep the postseason, uh, postseason seating in a better position because the Knicks were teetering. They were they were not a team that was a locked playoff team. He hits that three. You're like, oh, wow, that's crazy. He'd send it to overtime. Then you're down by two again. And now instead of going for a, a, a bucket, a, a two-point shot, you take another 30-footer. Like I mean, that was just that, and you hear the Garden crowd just going absolutely berserk—one of the loudest you ever hear in Madison Square Garden. One of my favorite Nick moments of all time, and I think without question, uh, the, my favorite mellow moment of all time. Um, I'll give you one more question before we move on here. If you could add any Knicks player to Carmelo's seven run in the seven-year run in New York, so you got to include like the guys they actually had on their team to help him win a title, who would you pick?
0: Hmm. Good question. Uh, current Knicks player?
1: Oh, I, I didn't even think about that. I thought, I thought of all time, but actually let's do both. Let's do current and let's do all time. I think that's a, that's a good wrinkle. I didn't think about
0: Um, all time. I, you know, you'd love to see Carmelo play with a dominant big, you know, whether it's Patrick or, 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 or Willis. um, That mm. would be, be really cool to see. Um, And current, I think I'd, I think I'd go with, um, uh, Jalen Brunson, you know just uh, coming off his incredible postseason run um teaming him together with another lead scorer they certainly could have used some uh, mellow mid-range jumpers against Miami huh
1: oh yeah yeah that was that that was a series that Mellow would have been very much needed like he's the exact kind of player those kind of nip and talk physical kind of games like you need a guy who you could throw the ball to and he just score on on anybody so I agree Mellow been great in this series that the Knicks just lost all time. Everybody's going to run to Patrick Ewing, but I actually think I would run to Clyde Frazier mm. because the Knicks had a lot of problems at point guard during the time Mello was here, whether it was uh, Lynn being hurt, uh, Chauncey Bill being old and hurt. Felton was OK, but only for one year. Like the Knicks had Tyson Chandler and he was, you know, imperfect himself, but he did have uh two seasons all nba defensive team it was a perfect fit next to Melo, a
0: guy who doesn't need the ball you know just just attack the glass
1: right so like I, I i was okay i'm okay with living with that at the five is great much patrick a 100 times better than tyson channel but uh, considering how bad the point guards were Melo were playing with i'm like you gave him walk hard frazier you gave him a guy who could attack uh defensively in terms of a point of attack defense he helped you there and a guy who can Come up big in those clutch moments at times where you thought Mellow maybe was coming up smaller and, and you didn't have a guy to go to it. This is a guy whose championship pedigree has hit big shots, has won titles games, won big playoff games. Like I think that if you add Walt Clyde Frazier to Mellow's to any of those mellow Knicks teams, I think they 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 win. Uh maybe they beat uh Indiana in, in 2013. They get to the Eastern Conference Finals because uh Graham Felton did not have a good series there. He was outplayed by George Hill. Um, one of the underrated storylines in that playoffs because everybody talked about, you know, Hibbert dominating, uh, just absolutely dominating a Tyson Chandler, George Hill had a really good series too. And it was at the expense of Raymond Felton and Jason Kidd couldn't make a shot. He, 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 I don't think he made a three for like, like four weeks. It was insane. So you had Clyde Frazier. That's an entirely different uh story. So I would, I would add Clyde Nick. Current Nick. Um, yeah. It's gotta be, it's gotta be Brunson. It's the same thing. I, I think if you add a, Uh, You know, if you had a point guard of that caliber and another guy with uh, super competitiveness, I think that that changes their life as well. So um, very interesting. Great talking about the career of Carmelo Anthony. Congrats to Carmelo Anthony once again, retiring from the NBA after a long career um uh, uh, top 10 all time and all scoring and and up there with the uh, and one last thing on mellow he uh he accepted the pressure and
0: the responsibility that comes with playing in new york you know Um, a lot of talk about free agents dodging the 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 the, the big apple um mellow wanted it he wanted all that smoke and and he brought it more often than not um you know he he delivered so uh credit to him for having the courage to to step in and step up
1: absolutely now before we get out of here uh, let's talk some, some current ball real quick. So the Knicks were eliminated uh, a little more than a week ago, but we're already days away from knowing maybe who the conference, the NBA finals a matchup will be because both the Nuggets and the heat are one, one away from the finals. As we record this episode of Monday afternoon, he demolished the Celtics in game three, to take a commanding 3-0 lead in the Eastern conference finals. The heat have yet to lose a game, a home game so far in this postseason. right now the Knicks are the only team to win at least two games against the heat in the playoffs. So when you look at, you know, the Knicks lost, they lost in six games. It was kind of like, Oh man, like there needs to be a whole major retooling, but then you see how much the heat dominated the bucks. And now you see how much the heat have dominated the Celtics. Do you think the Knicks missed out on a real chance to win an NBA finals, a golden NBA final, maybe win a championship? Like were they a lot closer than maybe we thought when it came to how, how close they were to winning a title?
0: So there's two ways, and I'll ask you, I'll ask you this, EJ. Um, the the Heat are seven and one against the Bucs and the Celtics. They're four and two against the Knicks this postseason. Should that fact make you should Knicks fans feel better because their Knicks are better than we thought, you know, closer to finals than we thought? Or is it heartbreaking and sting more because the Knicks were closer than we thought? They they would have had a real chance to advance the finals had they been playing these Celtics right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's the ultimate bittersweet kind of thing to look at. I think if I had to lean one, because I think both facts are true. I think both statements are true, actually. If yeah. I had to lean into one feeling, I would go with heartbreak because yeah. I think I. <laughs> it is a small factor. I think Julius Randle not playing game one really changed that series, too. Like, I don't know if the Heat get a game in New York in those first two games if Julius Randle plays game one. And, you know... And, of course, he came back from an injury, so he wasn't 100% going into the rest of that series. Like, if you're talking about a series where both teams protect home and now it's just, you know, a race to the finish in terms of who wins game six and game seven, like, I, that 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 now is an entirely different series. So I I think that I go more towards heartbreak because the Knicks actually had an injury that started that started that series shorthanded for them. Like, in some ways, I like guess, similar to the Bucs with the Giannis thing. Like the Celtics have no excuse. Like they're just getting throttled. But like the Knicks, you say, "Yo, if we if Randall didn't get hurt in against Cleveland, like that's a, that's maybe a different series that the Knicks have against the Heat." If the if if the Knicks get 40 percent of regular season Julius Randall
0: instead of twenty five percent, they they probably force a game seven. And if they force right. a game seven, who knows? If the Knicks get anything from IQ when he was healthy before right. he gets injured, they probably force a game seven, and anything can happen in the game seven.
1: Oh, or for IQs able to come back for game, uh, game six even like right. it, like you don't have to J- play Jalen Brunson forty six minutes or he you know he sits down for two minutes and he go on a 7-0 run like <laughs> the Knicks were really close to going to the NBA finals. I really feel that way because I and I said it on this podcast. Yeah, I told you a bunch of times. I was not convinced about this Celtics team. So, I, I had not been convinced about them all season, and you're know, watching them just absolutely quit against the Miami Heat. Um, shout. Shout out to Ben Ritholz, who, who uh, of course, was on the podcast with us earlier this year. And we're going to make sure we get him on during the offseason. Like, you know, he mentioned it and he's right. Like, it's crazy to see how much easier things are for Miami against Boston than they were for New York. They're getting easy looks. Like, remember that crazy ball movement the, Knicks were doing, the Heat were doing to get these shots? The Knicks are scrambling all over the place. And we're, you know, complaining why you're scrambling so much. Well, the Heat, they don't have to move the ball that much. The Celtics aren't scrambling at all. They're just standing around. They're not even running at these shooters. Guys, they're just absolutely wide open, not making multiple efforts, not making first efforts, let alone multiple efforts. I mean, this has been a completely pathetic performance. And you're saying, man, if Knicks had got this team and played with that same physicality they played against, they played against Cleveland with some of the physicality they showed um, in game two and game uh, six in New York and Jalen Brunson, the competitiveness he has, like that was a big thing to me, too. I feel like a big difference between the Knicks and Celtics is one team has Jalen Brunson, the other team doesn't. Like uh, Jalen Brunson definitely inspires his team in a way that Tatum and Brown just don't.
0: Tweeted this this morning, and like I didn't think it was possible for Jalen Brunson's you know second round performance against Miami to be like even more impressive in retrospect. Looking at what this Heat team has done to the psyche and soul of the Celtics, and in particular stars, um, and and going back to the first round, they locked up Giannis. Yep. Um, Jalen Brown's averaging 16 points per game in, in, in this Easter Conference Finals. Tatum's averaging 26, which is four points fewer than he did in the regular season on a lower field goal percentage. Contrast that with Jalen Brunson. Six-game series against Miami. Averaged 31 points on over 50% shooting, 6.3 assists, 5.5 rebounds. Um, that is superstar. We knew it was great at the time. Yeah. Looking back, you know, when we take a deep breath in uh, August or something and look back on it, we're gonna be like, "Holy shit, he really did that yeah. against a uh, really good Heat team." You know.
1: Yeah, maybe he did it against the NBA champions. <laughs> like that's that's actually on the table at this point. And you, you know you remember like when we had uh we had the time of Eric Spolstra during the live show when he talked about Jalen Brunson. I guarantee you, he will not speak about Jalen Brown or Jason Taylor in the way he spoke about Jalen Brunson after beating the Knicks. He talked about he's the ultimate competitor, a guy I wish we had on our team. Like, how did we miss out on this guy? Like, I don't know how this guy wasn't All NBA. He's one of the best players in the world. Like, that's and we see the level of competition that he brings to the table. And you saw the respect they had for Jalen Brunson. Also, by the way, he's didn't say that about any other Nick. He wasn't yep. saying about Randall. He didn't say that about R.J. Barrett. He said that he said that about Jalen Brunson. I guarantee you after they sweep the Boston Celtics uh, in a couple in a day or two. He's going to say, he's not going to be saying, Oh, Jason Tatum is his ultimate competitor. I wish we had him. He's not going to be saying that. He's going to respect the, the normal kind of run of the mill comments in the post game. You know, respect to the Celtics, good team, good season. They're going to keep it moving. Like Jalen Brunson left an impact on them. And, and in many ways, maybe he kind of ratcheted up their intensity and say, Hey, it's only going to get tougher. And then they realize, Oh, actually, it's not that tough at all. This is actually pretty easy it's it's uh it's crazy to see do, the uh do the uh
0: do the heat wrap it up in four and do and or do the lakers uh win a game and extend it
1: i think these, i think these are two sweeps um i think the lakers feel a lot different than the celtics do yes. like i think the lakers should be very pleased with this run you, you know lebron if he's healthy i think this is entirely serious he's clearly injured and right. now he's old so now the question becomes you know can you ever get him healthy at this point this late in the season he's a lot of miles on on that tread so if that's a question mark but lakers this is a good run you're playing a team that's just clearly way better you can live with getting swept by this team the celtics i think they're gonna i think they are going to get swept and i think it's going to be uh, another gut check moment kind of for another organization who's gonna have to make a lot of big decisions we've seen it from phoenix already firing their coach we've seen it from uh philly firing their coach now boston got to have a decision about joe Mazzulla, who they just gave an extension to and named them the permanent coach they gotta have a decision with their roster as well so this NBA offseason is getting more and more crazy with every postseason upset. You, you talk about decisions.
0: Jalen uh, Brown, rather, eligible for a five-year, $295 million contract. That did that decision by the Celtics, do they sign him? Do they, does he accept less? Do they trade him? Will shape the future of the Eastern Conference to a, to a certain degree. Um, and that's something we'll talk about for the next weeks and months as well.
1: And if you're the Knicks, you're sitting pretty. You don't have anybody making any super max money. You got a ton of draft picks um you got a team that was you know two wins away from beating the eastern conference champions like uh, things are getting very interesting here in uh in new york and like i've said these are the good old days as far as i'm concerned i think we need to realize that this is a different era of Knicks basketball that's gonna do it for this edition of orange and blue blood thank you guys again so much for checking us out tommy let the people know where they can find you
0: at tommy beer on twitter
1: you can find me, EJ underscore Stewart, on Twitter. Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. Again, thanks so much for listening to Orange and Blue Buds, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey WFA, and original podcast you can get so wherever you get your podcast. the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit that auto-download feature on the YouTube channel the every time we drop. Them. Also, check us out on YouTube where you can watch not just full episodes, and take from our episodes as well. You can find that on the Odyssey WFA so again. I'll be bad guys.